Radio Brews News, episode 116, recorded 7 March 2017. And thanks to Cry Malt, local malt for local beer, this is Radio Brews News. My name is Matt Kirkegaard, founder of Australian Brews News, and for once I am flying solo, unaccompanied, without my good friend and regular co-host Pete Mitchum for what is effectively the soft launch of our 2017 schedule. Uh, regular listeners will know that we haven't been back since our Christmas break. Uh, there's been a few reasons for that. Uh, primarily, we've been looking at how we can improve the show uh, and a big part of that is the sound quality and getting the, the show out regularly so we've been squirreling away in the background beavering away looking at uh, all of the things that we can do and one of those is putting on a professional producer and we will be back hopefully next week uh, with our regular event uh, with, with our regular show coming at you uh, regularly and with much better quality uh, those of you who are contributors to the show through producers and executive producers, you'll be pleased to know that we have used that money wisely. We've invested in some uh, software, microphones, and a few other things to make sure that the sound is better. And also, as I said, getting somebody to professionally produce the show, which will make sure that that is all done. Um, which is a big part because Pete and I love doing the show. We think it's very important. We know that you love the show. We know that there are a lot of people out there who listen to it regularly. Uh, and we have just been uh, really focused on trying to make sure that it's, it's better and we're constantly improving. So rather than start uh, early before we're ready, we've just held off a little bit. So thank you very, very much for your patience. Now, we are coming back a little bit earlier than we had planned, though, because... Regular readers of the site will have seen today that statement uh, this morning and announcing uh, Lions' withdrawal from the Craft Beer Industry Association. Uh, James Atkinson, the editor of Australian Brews News, uh, flew that flag late last year uh, when he said when he wrote a story discussing that there was some ructions going on and that the CBIA was looking into it. Uh, the CBIA board met last week. And uh, we don't know what the outcome of that was. I understand that the CBIA is still considering the matter, but uh, Chuck has decided, or Lyon, um, and Chuck has announced the, that, that Lyon will be withdrawing uh, the membership uh, for Little Creatures, White Rabbit, um, and the James Squire Breweries. Now, for some people, there has been a lot of cheering um, uh, about that. Others have taken a little bit more of a moderate approach. Um, and I've posted a... A, an editorial today voicing my views um, about it um, and wondering a whether it's going to make a huge difference but also discussing you know whether the traditional divide between multinational breweries and small inverted commas independent breweries is still as relevant as it once was particularly as we're seeing a whole range of new funding models and things such as venture capital coming into business uh, yeah uh, from, from my mind, um, sometimes a business, no matter how big, that has a vested interest in the product that it's uh, producing may be more uh, you know, interested in the long-term uh, health of that industry rather than uh, investors who are just looking for a return on their money and could be going into mining, could be going into manufacturing or healthcare, or could be going into craft beer. Um, that's just my uh, point of view. B 
But that's uh, all a matter of introducing today's chat because I was having a chat to Chuck uh, Chuck Hahn earlier in the year. Um, I, I knew that he had some thoughts about James's article back then. It was before he'd made the decision uh, with Lyon to withdraw from the CBIA. But we did talk about that and a couple of other uh, topics that uh, Chuck was quite interested in. Um, I'm always interested to chat to Chuck, so I, I, I did speak to him. We had this interview. We were going to bring it out once we kicked off the regular podcast, but it, it seemed very relevant today. So we will, uh, without too much uh, further introduction, just play my interview with Chuck Hahn um, now and uh, look forward to getting back with our regular programming as early as hopefully next week. Thanks very much. And uh, this is my chat with Chuck Hahn. Chuck Hahn, welcome back to Radio Brews News. Well, thank you, Matt. It's good good to be talking to you again. Yeah, but we don't have a we don't have a beer in front of us, though. That's a problem. No, it's one of the downsides of uh, recording at eight o'clock in the morning. Is that it's a little bit indecent to uh, to, to to have a beer. I do have a coffee, uh, so I've got another brew. But hopefully, we'll be able to catch up um, for a beer very soon at the uh, your Monday Brewery that you're uh, d- developing. That we might uh, come and talk about a little bit later in the in this discussion. Sounds like a plan. Now. I, um, uh, well, apart from there's uh, any number of reasons that I'd love to sit down and have a, a chat to you for the podcast, but um, the the primary driver for it was before Christmas, a couple of articles ran on uh, Australian Brews News um, that you had a chat to uh, James Atkinson, our editor um, and the author of the articles about um, when you caught up before Christmas. And uh, so I just wanted to have a bit of a chat about uh, some of those, for example, um, okay. just uh uh, first of all, um, there was an article that talked about the big brewers to exit CBIA, um, the, the Craft Beer Industry Association, and uh, you uh, had said to James that that wasn't a done deal. And uh, also, um, the, the article didn't really reflect how important um, the, the James Squire brand, yourself personally, and uh, the uh, membership dues um, provided by Lion was in setting the CBIA up in the first place. Yes, no, I, I think that's one of the, one of the reasons I, I was talking to, to James about that because it seemed like he was just uh, covering one, one side of the story. And I mean, I, I've been on the, on the board of the CBIA for the last four or five years and ha- just had to retire. And uh, uh, Ash Cranston from Little Creatures has taken my place on the board. But I think that was a discussion that came up um, all kind of in uh, uh, October, November, kind of the end of end- of, um, 2000, uh, some of the members had, had queried about uh, whether uh, brewers uh, that are owned more of a, more than say 20 or 25 percent by um, other large companies or or larger brewers uh, should be allowed to be members of the CBIA. So that came up for discussion. We discussed that at the board, but with, with no no decision being made. And uh, so I think that that was uh, what. Um, when the headlines say that, that that we were that we were leaving it or being forced out of it, you know, it's 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 not a it's not like it's a deal that's that's uh, that's happened already. You know? mm. and, and I guess like the 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 headline is a little bit neutral. It says uh, big brewers to exit, but it it was it puts it in the uh, shade of it being a fait accompli. Um, but then the, the the discussions have talked about the various um, elements, and I think that the article came from the background that there has been some disquiet, not necessarily within the confines of the CBIA, but within some of the membership and particularly some of the uh, brewers who have indicated an unwillingness to join while 
the the the, the big brewing companies uh, members. Um, and James had been following that story okay. down um, and found right. out that it had okay. been discussed in in inside. Um, is my understanding of how the story came along, but it it, it the, the issue does um, is quite interesting because I, I do remember at the time that the uh, CBIA was being formed and there was a lot of discussions about how to do it um, and how to pull mm-hmm. it together. Um, that that was one of the tensions. You know, do we include the big brewers or do we not exactly. include the big brewers? Exactly. Um, you know, a lot of people refer to the Brewers Association in the United States that it kind of you know it, it says it can't be owned, as we said. Uh, more than 25%. And I think it's a, it's a different situation here because the craft brewing movement was actually uh, started, nurtured, and allowed to grow and helped to grow by the big brewers. I mean, we had we had Matilda Bay Brewing from way back in in the 1980s, uh, uh, and they were they were uh, very soon owned almost 100% by by CUB. We had the the Hahn Brewing Company, same same timing. Uh, uh, and then owned by Lion, and of course with James Squire uh, and, and Little Creatures. And so the, we, we always had that input of the large brewers in the creation of craft in Australia. So I think that was the difference. In, in America, it was totally different. You know, the, the craft brewers started started up, and they were immediately um, not at odds, but they were they were competing directly, and they were seen as separate uh, from from the mainstream brewers. So it's, a, so it's a bit different there. Yeah, it, it, which of itself, um, you know, is an interesting point because there are some uh, there are some elements of the community that want to sneer at small brewers. Once they're bought yeah. out, they see that the big brewers aren't able to start small breweries themselves, and so they have to buy yeah, out. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yep. You know, the successful small breweries, um, and it will in, in the case of Matilda Bay, it's 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 been to Matilda Bay's great detriment long term because uh, it, it it's really a husk of a brand these days as opposed oh, yeah. to a, a going concern. Oh, oh I, I, I totally agree with you there. I mean, um, uh, Fat Yak has no degree of authenticity as Matilda Bay. I mean, Matilda Bay has some fantastic brands, and um, they, they really, really grew that. But it's, it's interesting, when the CBIA started, the some of the, the founding members were Matilda Bay uh, and, and James Squire. I mean, they, they were the founding members of the... Um, of the CBIA and, and, and little little creatures was Matilda Bay a member? I thought that they oh, yeah. they sort of no, vacillated they, a little bit. No, no, they were they were a member, and uh, they were a member for the um, for the first year, and then I think they had some uh, ownership changes right after that, and then the new owners uh, said, "Well, what's CBIA doing? What's the value of that for Matilda Bay?" And they they they, they never renewed their membership. Right. Okay. So no. no no, they were they were one of the founding members, yeah. And, and that's an interesting that, that, that's an interesting uh, point that you know one of the things that has cemented the CBIA and made it so uh, successful um, in in its early uh, you know, it was still fairly early, but um, mm-hmm. one of the things that's allowed it to have the resources to arrange craft brewing conferences and awards is that it's had a you know, full-time executive officer, um, and uh, hello, oh, yes, yes. Uh, hello to Chris, who's a regular listener. Um, but yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and it was the uh, financial contribution made by the big brewers through their you know, significant membership fees that uh, made exactly. that possible. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, no, very, very true on that, Matt. Because I mean, we 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 kind of struggled for this. Is when I mean, Brad, Brad Rogers was the uh, sort of the founding chairman, and we, we struggled that first year or two because everyone had, it was totally volunteer work for everywhere and on committees and everything, and we really needed that executive officer. But by having you know the larger membership fees that are being paid by the the larger breweries, uh, that that really allowed us to to staff up and, and get some things done. Hmm. But at the same time, you know, there are a lot of uh, uh, small brewers who are refusing to join or aren't interested in joining while they see it as being conflicted. So um, that's that, that's the counterpoint of view uh, to, to that discussion, I it, guess. It, exactly. But we still, I mean, we've grown the membership now. I think last update I had from uh, uh, Chris was we had something like, what, 170 members or 180 members? Something like that. And there's something over 400 uh, brewers, uh, breweries in, in Australia now. And so, you know, we, we really have increased the membership uh, significantly uh, since that time. Hmm. But uh, it, you make an interesting point because you did start a um, brewery way back in the uh, late 1980s, the, the uh, eponymous um, Han uh, Brewing Company. Um, and that was one that uh, you had uh, a 60% investment from a venture capitalist firm in, in those days. Um, yes, yeah, yeah, that was it because we, we, we weren't able to start up um, really, really small like, like the small like the, the craft brewers are able to now because we, we only could get a, a wholesale brewer's license. So we had to set up a facility to keg and bottle immediately because we had to, to sell all that off, off premise. And so we were talking of a of a, a several million dollar investment to get the brewery going, and that's only for a, a, a fifty hectoliter brew house, but a bottling and a packaging line, a bottling and a kegging line, and so we 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 didn't have that money myself and the and three partners, and so we actually had sixty percent owned was by a venture capitalist, and and we I'm quite intrigued about the whole notion of venture capital um, because. On one hand, there's an element of the um, brewing industry that says, well, if you're owned by you know, a big brewer, um, that you are no longer a craft brewer. And yet there are a lot of, oh, we're seeing an increasing number of small, uh, inverted commas, craft brewers that mm. are inviting venture capitalists in to you know, fund their expansion. And they're taking, mm. you know, 40, 50, 60, 70% of the, of the stake in that craft brewery. And there doesn't mm. seem to be the same gnashing of teeth, um, you know, or, or fears that that's going to change the yeah. nature of the, the the craft brewery. Um, from from your experience, when you did take on venture capital, did that create mm. internal tensions? Because a venture capitalist's uh, job is to get a return on their investment, not necessarily yes. to make great beer. Exactly. They, they, they don't have the passion for the business. They have the passion for making money. And, uh, I mean, so in, in that case, we, we, we didn't really have a problem that, because we were actually another brewer wanted to, to buy us and then we, uh, uh, can, can, can we name, venture. can we name that brewer? Yeah, I think, we, yeah, yeah, that was uh, actually Matilda Bay. They had just, uh, expanded to the East Coast. And they didn't have the production facilities to produce enough Redback because Redback was their leading brand. Then it's still a you know a, a fantastic wheat beer, but uh, they so they they were trying to buy us and they had an offer in, and so we had to we had to match that offer, 
but fortunately, I was able to come up with a, a businessman that, that had the passion for the liquor business, and uh, we, we were able to have someone else uh, buy that venture capitalist out. And so, so that worked out well for us. At a substantial premium to what they'd put in in the first place, of course. Yeah, yes, exactly. And I think that's really the, the challenge. I mean, we've seen that happen in in the U.S. now too. That you know, the small brewery gets started up when a bunch of um, uh, local friends get together and almost a community funding type thing. And then after a couple of years, some of the people want to get out of the business. And the guy that started up the whole thing, of course, unless he has enough capital from somewhere, uh, he's got to get someone else in to buy them out. And so they get venture capitalists in now that are are trying to 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 run it just to uh, to make money, to make a lot of money. Mm. And, 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 and and we might see that happen here in Australia, you know. And yet, that doesn't seem, as I said, you know, that in all of the discussion about what is craft, there doesn't seem to be that level of uh, um, concern shown about those things. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we the, the the brewery really has to whatever brewery it is has to ha- have credit, you know, for the quality of the beer and, and what they're doing in the marketplace, and and not be penalized about uh, who owns them as long as they they have the passion for the business and they're they're making really good beer. You know, I think that's what's important. And you, as you've said to me in the past, you know, that's something that you know yourself, uh, Chris Sheehan, um, who's the head brewer at uh, Squires these days. Breweries like uh, Lion are filled with people uh, who, who have that passion, um, and perhaps venture capitalists. Uh... No, yeah, no, oh, exactly. And the the beauty of working for Lion is that uh, that they give us the the liberty and the independence to uh, to create things like uh, some of the great beers that we've created over the years. One of the the, the issues that upsets a lot of brewers, though, is that the idea of the, the tap contract, um, and that's something that big brewers have the financial muscle to go in and offer substantial rebates on, on, on kegs. And, um, and, and the, the smaller brewers see that as a, you know, as being targeted at taking or driving them off the, off the shelves. Is, is that a fair criticism or a fair, uh, you know, attitude for them to hold? Well, I, I think that that, the, the, the uh, tap contracts or whatever you want to call it is, is something that's developed over the years as the, the two major brewers uh, battled for, for taps. And that was a time when there were many times a, a pub was uh, would only have maybe eight or ten taps, not, not, not 25 to 30 taps. And so, so it was a major thing, I think, at the time. And that, that uh, has continued. But I, And I think in some cases it makes it, it more difficult for a a craft brewer to to get on tap, but if if there's some demand for for his beer, uh, and the the publican really wants to cover that craft market, you know, I think there's always ways they can they can get their their beers on tap. In fact, we see a lot of craft brewers, I think, actually buying taps now. Well, that's that, <laughs> it, it, it's funny, and, and you and I have had a, a number of discussions, you know, over the last decade about uh, about this issue, and it has been interesting to watch as the industry matures. Um, yes, seeing yeah. that as uh, small brewers grow to a size that they can start making those sorts of arrangements with um, uh, publicans that you know, some of the ones that used to complain about the, the, the big boys contracting taps are out there yeah. uh, offering all sorts of incentives to, to venues to keep their beer on. Um, oh, exactly, exactly. And, and, and not in the terms of rebates, but, you know, say, you know, discounted keg prices or, or, or paying for some tap systems. So I think in the past, I think one of the things that really 
maybe grew that thing about um, that the public wanted to put in, you know, we've seen so many changes in the, the, the glycol cooling systems from the old temperites, you know, to the, the flow plates and, and uh, uh, all kinds of other things where the publicans want to have the latest in order to keep the quality of the beer right at tops. Um, and, and, it, and it costs a lot of money to do that. And that's where I think that, that whole thing developed because they would go to the major brewer that maybe who had already 50% of their taps and say, well, look, I want to put in a new system. It's going to cost me X number of dollars. Can you help me out? And the brewer said, well, okay, I'll help you out, but we've got to somehow uh, uh, justify that expenditure. And that's how we come into those uh, those tap contracts, I think. Mm. And, it, and it often is the, the publicans asking for the, 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 the yeah, yeah. arrangement as opposed to the brewer um, suggesting yeah. Um but I'd- and that's because it used to be with the old tap systems, you know. And I'm talking way back. Uh, actually, when we were starting up the Han Brewery, I was uh, put myself through school as a plumber, so I, I used to install some of those tap systems myself uh, with the Han Brewery, and they, they were just so antiquated. And if if a publican wasn't going through at least a keg a week, um, the, the beer wasn't going to be good quality. But now the systems are so good that even if they're going through a uh, a keg every fortnight, you know, it's 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 still going to be top quality. Hmm. So the whole thing has changed over those years. It it, it is a very complex uh, um, issue, but it wasn't one that I actually wanted to uh, the, the the conversation yeah. to go into. That's probably a whole yeah, no. uh, discussion itself. Oh. Oh, I think so. A whole separate discussion. I think the, the the whole thing we really want to talk about is you know the, uh, the just the development of um, of this this craft beer across Australia. I mean, it gives everyone a different avenues for refreshment and and beer is more than just. Uh, I always like to talk about the, the the two primary R's of of beer drinking or refreshment and relaxation. But then you've got several more. One is reverence, uh, relevance, and respect. And those last three really come in with, with craft beer and as far as the, uh, the, the relevance uh, and, the, and the reverence on this because uh, all the different flavors we have out there is just phenomenal. Yeah, and actually that's an interesting um, one that point that you bring up because I remember, I think when I first met you, it would have been sort of in, in the very early 2000s um, and you were presenting beer dinners and you, you were bringing up beers like, uh, the, the Squire's Amber Ale and the, uh, um, uh, the, the, the Porter, um, or even the, the, the mm, rum barrel yep, Porter. Yep. So before, um, craft brewers <laughs> yeah. were, were, uh, playing around with barrels, uh, you were sort of adding rum chips to, to porters, um, to, for, for flavor. Um, but, you know, back then you, you, you were always talking about use it, use a glass and, uh, you know, there, there was a, a, a different culture around the craft beer and not just about the flavor in the glass, but the, 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 um, a, a approach to drinking it was just a little bit more, um, reverential is, is the word that you used. And <laughs> I, 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 yeah. I look around at a lot of, uh, you know, craft beer venues that spruik the diversity of their taps and how often that they're turning mm-hmm. it over. And yet, um, they're pouring it into some fairly ordinary glasses that I don't do anything to elevate mm-hmm. or accentuate the the, the flavors, um, and it's just about okay. um, uh, you know cheap nasty glasses or you know, yeah. jam jars. Yeah, you, um, you, you know why, Matt? Though you know because. In Australia, we're, we're a bunch of thieves. You know, anytime you get a nice branded glass, it, it gets stolen. 
And that's why those schooner glasses are so ugly. <laughs> it, I always thought that it was because they didn't break and they stacked easily. But, uh... yeah. And they, they, that, that's another another one of those reasons, too. But I used to have an expression back then. I still use it sometimes. I mean, two expressions. One was slam it down slowly. And uh, the, the, the second one was uh, uh, getting people to drink upstream from the herd. Mm. I, I and we saw, talk about that, yeah. We see all that happening now. I think it's fantastic. I mean, just the way the the thing has changed. Uh, I mean, considering we we started the Han Brewery up uh, almost thirty years ago now. That was nineteen eighty eight, um, and so the the changes that we've seen it are just fantastic. I think uh, for for beer culture in Australia, and, and you've been one of those leaders in that too. You know, uh, you and and uh, Crafty, you know, have just done uh, marvelous things. And Peter, you know, for the uh, for the craft beer industry and getting people to actually taste what they're drinking. Yeah, well, thank you very much. Um, I mean, that's a high praise from, from you indeed, given <laughs> the amount of time that you've been doing it. Um, I, I was just uh, thinking about that element. Um, again, another unplanned detour. You're talking about uh, we're, we're thieves, we steal glasses. Um, I've, I've heard brewers say, you know, complain about that, but then other brewers, uh, you know, smile and say, well, that's what you want them to do. You want them to see value in your brand. Um, yeah, because yeah. it's not the glass that they're stealing. Otherwise, they would be stealing um, the unbranded schooner glass. But if they're stealing mm-hmm. your branded glass, it means that they're mm-hmm. engaging yep. with the brand. Did do you think that's an expense that's worth bearing for for brewers? Uh, oh, I, I think in some cases. I mean, you, you see it everywhere in Europe. They certainly have justified it there. I mean, every beer is put in the proper glass. Um, I mean, in fact, we we did that for a while at. Uh, at one of the prominent hotels uh, in Sydney, the Oaks Hotel in Neutral Bay, and they actually wanted to have a, a special glass for each one of our beers, and so we actually provided those, and they had to have uh, a different rack for each of them, so they finally decided, though, it was just getting too confusing. Uh, they just couldn't do that, but uh, they did try. It, it it does get difficult, but then again, the, the wine industry have managed to do it. But uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't know that as much as we want to revere beer, that it'll ever be as have the no. same uh, pretentiousness that wine can sometimes carry with it. No, no, thank thank goodness. <laughs> thank goodness, it's not as pretentious as wine drinking. <laughs> Take beer seriously, but not yourself, as I as I like to say. Oh, uh, uh, exactly. You know, no, I think no, I don't, I don't think we'll ever get to that point, especially with the number of of different breweries that we have now. There's no way a any any hotel at all is going to stack um, stock glasses uh, that that have the brewer's name on it. I mean, so then they're they're sort of limited to maybe half their beers being from one brewery, let's say, so in order to serve it in the glass. But mm. then each t- each type of beer really deserves a different type of glass. Mm. But, but carrying all of those, you're particularly branded, as you say, with so many uh, venues yeah. turning over um, their tap selection so quickly, you, d- you just couldn't really do it. Yeah, no, exactly on that. Now, what are uh, the other... Sorry, sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, what, one of the other things we wanted to talk about was um, you had listened back to Jamie Cook from Stone and Woods uh, discussion that we had a couple of years ago, uh, sorry, a couple of uh, weeks ago before Christmas, um, mm-hmm. and uh, he used the, the, the phrase corporate comb over to describe uh, what big brewers are doing. Um, oh, yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and you didn't think that that was a particularly apt description? 
Well, I, I guess I mean I think a comb over probably has has more credence now that we have uh, uh, almost President Trump uh, trying to look <laughs> after making America great again. You know, <laughs> but uh, we, we won't go there. And uh, the I think we, we've seen that happen in a lot of places. I think uh, I mean call it corporate comb overs or whether it's large breweries trying to. Develop brands that they're they're saying are are, are crafty brands, you know. Um, see a number of cases in that. I think uh, where like like with Squires, it's it's operated independently um, from Lion, even though we're able to utilize the Lion distribution system, which, which is extremely important. Uh, but it, it's always been a craft brand, uh, and, and brewed in you know very large craft brand, uh, batches, of course. We're able to do the only way we've been able to keep up is actually brew brew it to our recipes and to our our flavors uh, in the larger breweries as as that brand has grown. And I think that uh, one of Jamie's remarks was saying how they they were now one of the major major players and uh, they, they had just grown more than anyone else has. And uh, that that's not true. As far as the volumes, uh, well, and, and and again, that's one of the things that uh, you know Jamie was willing to say. I think he uh, said twelve million liters. Um, mm-hmm. Any time I've contacted Lion to find out what the volume is for brands such as James Squire, they've not been mm-hmm. willing to to give us the uh, numbers. So it's it's very hard to um, determine mm-hmm. uh, what what the number is. Are, are you able okay. are you able to say oh, yeah. what, what the size no. of a oh, brand like oh, Squires yeah. is? Oh no, Squires is is over thirty million liters now. Uh, and uh, across all of brand, the brands, across all the brands, and the the leading brand, of course, is the the very popular, you know, Lashes, uh, one hundred and fifty Lashes Pale Ale. Uh, we also have about four million liters of of Orchard Crush Cider. I mean, that's been hugely successful. Mm. And so that that's a that's a huge brand, and. And then, uh, you know, little creatures would be in the, the 15 to, to 20 million. I mean, they're, they're large, large craft brands. At, at, but, at the same time, I, I remember when what is now called 150 Lashes uh, was released. Um, and I think it was uh-huh. 2009. Uh, 2011. 2011, 2011. It, it came out. So, um, yep. and, and, and I remember the uh, when it was first released and... It, I found it to be quite reminiscent of what was then the Stone and Wood Draft Ale. Um, so it, it, it's a beer that, uh, you know, an Australianish style, lighter bodied malt, you know, lighter malt body with a aromatic uh, tropical um, passion fruit hop aroma. Yep, um, exactly. Which, which was something that Stone and Wood had uh, really introduced the, the country to back in 2008. So I, I was left with the impression way back then that, you know, Squires had actually sort of saw, hey, they're on a a winner here. Um, mm-hmm. That's a, that's a beer that, that w- we should be in that space as well. Is is that exactly. a fair? Um, I mean, because well, before that, then, that's a that's a fair, that's a, a fairly fair comment. I think initially when the uh, Stonywood Pacific Ale was released, it was just too much passion fruit. You know, it was galaxy hops and galaxy hops <laughs> and more of the same. And I, we looked at that, and and also I looked at the popularity of, of, of Cooper's Pale Ale. You know, everyone was, was loved the Cooper's Pale Ale. And Cooper's Pale Ale had a certain really pleasant fruitiness to it, but that was actually coming from the yeast. Mm. And sometimes it had too much yeast in it, so it had a very satiating effect. And so what we decided to do, we were going to use a a mixture of hops, a little bit of Galaxy, a little bit of uh, uh, Nelson Savant, a little bit of uh, Amarillo, 
to give us that, that passion fruit citrus, and then we're going to have just a little bit of yeast left in it to give it a little bit of cloudiness, and, and that was it. And that, uh, that gamble, uh, brewer's gamble, if you will, on that man, <laughs> uh, just came through to us. You know, It just resonated with the drinker. Is, is the yeastiness that uh, remains in a beer like that, is that um, the, the, the bio-cloud, which is there more for aesthetic than functional um, bottle conditioning purposes, or is it actually uh, there for uh, conditioning purposes? Well, you can, you can do, I mean, you know, the, uh, they have things like bio-cloud, which actually is broken up uh, yeast cells, mm. yeast cell walls. So its origin is actually yeast. And you can use that, or you can use just a small amount of uh, yeast that you that you buy past your centrifuge. Uh, uh, either either way, you get just a. But it's the trick is is controlling it, uh, so you have a uniform amount, and that's always been a challenge for us on that one. Hmm. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and so, so we were talking about that and, uh, you, you, you felt that the description of, um, the, the, the comb over was a little bit unfair. And no. I, I guess that harkens back. Jamie, I had first heard Jamie use that expression back in, uh, I think four years ago when, uh, CUB brought out the Byron Bay Pale Ale, um, coming up. Oh, on right, right. The, the eve yep. of, um, uh, Australia, I think. So it's almost, yeah. So we're coming up to its anniversary and I'd, uh, right. Fairly uh, loudly um, condemning the the, the the fact that they were hiding behind a very small brewery and weren't oh, uh, yeah, being exactly. open. And, and I think we spoke not long after that. I think we the last time we that. spoke, I was talking about yeah, we, uh, yeah. branding yep. uh, and, and the, the labelling. And uh, you'd indicated at that stage that whilst beers like Kosciuszko probably weren't making full disclosure, um, that Lion was in the process of an internal review about how you do label. And uh, yep, yep. I don't think we've ever spoken. I don't think I've ever got to uh, actually congratulate uh, Lion for the, the way that they have come out. And every bottle um, you know, is, is very uh, open in disclosing the, the ownership of Lion, that it's brewed and uh, that it's owned by Lion, that it's brewed at uh, various uh, locations controlled by Lion. So uh, you, you certainly did come through with, what you said was uh, occurring at that time. Yes, no, no, thank you. No, I, we, we did uh, complete that promise to you. <laughs> we were totally, totally transparent in our, in our labeling on that. And because, I mean, it, got, it was kind of a challenge with the Kosciuszko one. Finally, we just said brewed, brewed by Lion under, under license from Kosciuszko Brewery because we were brewing it at, at different breweries. Mm. We were brewing initially at the Malt Shovel Brewery and then down in uh, Geelong at the, at the Little Creatures Brewery there. So we, we couldn't have different labels all around. And but uh, no, we, we, we've gone with total transparency, and and that's actually a challenge I think for for our contract brewers that you have. You know, there's there's a, probably 50 breweries in Australia that don't have breweries, and uh, they they have their their beer lovingly brewed by someone else. And that's again that that's an issue that uh, I I think that line has been ahead of a lot of inverted commas craft brewers who are either using hybrid arrangements where they own a smaller brewery but their volume comes from contract brewing arrangements um, mm. and mm. they don't uh, d- d- declare that um, because I, I think that is issues because uh, if people are going to engage with a brand, particularly a brand that has a, a local uh, name to it, um, mm-hmm. uh, they, they can be yeah. uh, uh, you know, entitled to believe that that's where the beer is actually made. Yeah, because I mean, I think as we we discussed before, on the I mean, like uh, Mountain Goat, I mean, two thirds of their beer was being brewed by Asahi in the first place, you know, uh, over the last couple of years at least. 
Yeah, and, and yeah. around the same time when all of this was on, I had some uh, conversations with um, Cam and Dave, highlighting that that you know how how can as an industry can you call out CUB mm-hmm. for for what they did with Byron Bay when mm-hmm. you, you do have a much loved um, brand and much loved uh, and respected brewers who are doing exactly. something that's you know arguably similar um, w- w- without declaring it, and uh, you know was subsequently they've been bought by Asahi and everyone knows that, but. It, it, it is a very difficult question because a lot of brewers oh, do know that, you know, if they put contractor on, that there is a stigma that, that, that comes with that. Yep. And, I mean, I think that's uh, one way of expanding your, your brewery is to, you know, to have it, have it contract brewed like that. And the other way, of course, is to get a, as, as we talked to a little bit earlier, you get a venture capitalist in that's uh, going to give you the capital to expand your brewery and also probably control you. Mm. It's a difficult business expanding, and but again, coming back to Lion, I guess that's one of the, you know, whilst you say that uh, um, Squires is an independent entity or Kosciuszko is a independent entity, you know, Kosciuszko is a five hundred liter um, uh, brew house, which is very very small, and you're not going to supply, uh, you know, great hotels like the Alliance Hotel up here the volume that they do from that uh-huh. from from that alone. So. Even though it's an independent um, business, once you outgrow that, you can, for example, yeah. go to Camperdown at the Squires Brewery, and then once you outgrow that, you can go to Geelong, which are supposedly yeah. independently uh, owned businesses, but they're all part mm-hmm. of the, the the one big family. So, um, and mm-hmm. I guess with a lot of the Squires uh, brands, you, you then get to go to Lid- Lidcombe, which is one of the biggest breweries in the country. Exactly, a very, very efficient brewery and a very good quality brewery. You know. Um, and I, I think the key thing, though, is is, is who, I mean, if a company like Lion, you're able to do that. But obviously, um, Matilda Bay haven't been able to do that, as we, as we were talking before, you know. They, they've been really constrained. Well, they've made a, a yeah. different set of decisions, I guess. But in, yeah. in, in terms of the idea of the corporate comb-over, coming back to yeah. that, is, uh, yep, yep. you know, is, is there an element, um, you know, Farmers markets. People shop at farmers markets rather than Coles because they'd like to feel that their all of their money is going to the farmer um, mm-hmm, than mm-hmm. A, a big multinational retail giant. Um, is there much difference then in you know, Woolworth setting up something that looks like a farmers market, but they still own? Um, and mm-hmm. then not actually having farmers there, um, but people still have the experience of shopping at a farmer's markets, but that right. real reason that they're shopping there, which is to interact directly with the farmers, isn't being met, but they feel that it is. So, I mean, is there a little bit mm. of that with a, a, a brewery like you know, Lion, a multinational company like Lion Brewing, Kosciuszko, that people feel that they're engaging with a small brand? Well, I think you've got to have that local engagement. I mean, that's essential. You've got to have a, a, we always like to call it a spiritual home for the brand, you know. Where you can connect with it, and and that's how you you start up a a, a local brewery. Really, is you you've got to connect with the with the local um, population in developing that brand, and then w- once you do that, and you you have that firmly established, um, of course you want to you want to expand it. 
And to do that, you've got to have additional brewing facilities, whether that's uh, uh, somewhere else in the organization. But it's a matter of laying that foundation first, I think. And I mean, we talked um, before briefly about uh, about Yamundi. I mean, we're we've we've basically uh, reached an agreement with the owners of the Imperial Hotel, where the original Yamundi Brewery was, uh, to put another little brewery in there and and develop uh, redevelop a rebirth the authentic uh, Yamundi Lager. That was started, uh, for those who don't know, Yamundi was a brewery that started around the same time that uh, Hahn Brewing Company started back in the uh, late 80s, in the uh, yuppie-fueled days of the late 80s. And that was also Bernie Powers, started the Powers Brewery then. Mm. So so those two were the, the first sort of almost craft brewers uh, in Queensland, yeah. But uh, so, so what's what's the plan with Yamundi? You're, you're actually putting a, a brewery into the Yamundi Hotel um, up, up there? Yeah, well, yeah, in the original uh, location of the of the big brewery, there was a larger brewery there. We're putting a smaller brewery in, about a, a 1,200-liter uh, brew house. And we'll be brewing uh, Yamundi uh, Lager and a couple other brands that we're looking at, uh, you know, using some local produce. Um, there's a, a, a ginger uh, grower just across the street, you know, so we're definitely going to have a ginger-infused pale ale and a couple other ones using some local produce. So um, it, it's just a matter of uh, developing that local bigness and, and local association, I think, with any, with any brewery. I look forward to uh, to seeing that now, Chuck. Just casting the uh, crystal ball for 2017. Do, do you what, what sort of trends do you see? I know you spend a lot of time in the states, and you're about to go over and yep. do some skiing in uh, Colorado. Um, yes, I'm afraid to admit that. <laughs> <laughs> so no, no doubt, doing a lot of research to see what's happening over there and what um, will translate back to uh, the, the the Squires um, brand. Well, I think the biggest thing uh, that I, I see right now in the states, and it's something that, that we've talked about, is is how do we rebirth lager in Australia? I mean, lager has always been big in Australia, and we've had this influx over the last 25 years, 20 years, of pale ales and IPAs. And how do we get back to people enjoying flavorsome lagers? I mean, it doesn't have to be a an IPL, you know, India Pale Lager, but it can be a, a just one that's interestingly hopped and 100% malt, uh, just some good pilsners. Uh, so, I mean, that, that's what, what I like to see is somehow we can re- rebirth that lager category. The Squires Pilsner has always been a classic. It's a World uh, Beer Cup uh, gold medal winner. Yeah. Um, gold medal winner. Back in what, 2008? 2000... 2000, 2008, yeah. We, we beat out all the Czech Republic Pilsners with that one. And uh, no, so, you know, rebirthing things like that, I think. And, uh, and, and we're, uh, we've got a really interesting thing with Humundi Lager, uh, the trial brew we've done. We've, we've used uh, uh, a couple of different Australian hops to give it one, one of the hops is a noble hop, so it's, it's got that spicy. Uh, uh, character, that spicy floral character, and then of course we're using a little bit of uh, Tasmanian-grown uh, Cascade hops for that fruitiness. But it, it's just amazing mm. the the flavor effect that it does to a, a lager beer. But isn't that just the nature of fashion that um, lager had a, a a huge wave of popularity? They became lighter and lighter, and then there was almost a reaction against just how uh, generic or you know, dare I use the term, bland, um, mm-hmm. uh, that, that, that lagers had become. Um, that, 
Yeah, oh, exactly, exactly, Matt. I know you run a lot of tastings and stuff, and you see that, and it, it's so true. I mean, everyone associates lager with that 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 weak uh, that weak fizzy stuff made by the made brewers that that their their father drank, their grandfather drank, and uh, that's why they all went to the ales. Mm. Yep, exactly, spot on. But it isn't the desire, and look, I've been championing, Pete and I on this podcast have been championing good drinking uh, lagers as well. Um, but isn't that part of a cycle that we'll see, you know, as um, we move, you know, assuming there is a move back to lagers um, en masse, that then there will be a race to the bottom again um, to, to get bigger market. You know, the more flavor anything has, the smaller the potential market it is. And so, uh, you know, when, when you get to something that's like Corona, there's nothing really for anyone to dislike about it. Um, and anyone oh, exactly. That... <laughs> so true, so true. Yeah. I, mean, I think, like for Corona, you know, everyone says you, you have to put a, uh, a lime in it to give it some flavor. Or but you, but or, everyone loves it. Everyone loves it. <laughs> or, yeah. Um, but it, it, isn't that part of the same cycle? And uh, the, the craft brewers, the smaller brewers who don't need the volumes that a, uh, a brewery like Lion has to have to, you know, a big business needs big turnover and big margins, whereas a smaller brewer can operate in those flavorsome margins mm-hmm. a little bit more effectively? Yes, yeah. Um, the other thing that's against lagers, though, is that, as you well know, lagers take longer to make. I mean, ales you can turn around in, in 10 days, uh, where, where lagers, you know, you need uh, a number of weeks, you know, three or four weeks uh, to do the proper fermentation and cold storage. Mm, and, and that makes but, them very expensive. And I've actually found that myself. Uh, I've been doing a little bit of sales um, over the Christmas period and found that you oh, know, right. okay. if, if you try and... Um, sell a lager, um, despite the increased costs that come with that, um, everyone says, oh, I'm not going to pay $320 a keg for, for a lager, no matter how good it is. Yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah, I yeah. often won't blink at a, you know, at a, at a good pale ale um, that doesn't need the same time in tank as a, um, a, as a very good lager. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and the other thing um, adds to the cost on all these things is the hops, particularly the dry hopping techniques that we're using across the board. I mean, and, and if you're using American hops, you're, you're talking a lot of money. <laughs> yes. A lot of money. <laughs> do, do you think there will be a bit of it? One of the um, conversations we had late last year suggested that there was going to be a bit of a pricing squeeze in 2017. Do you think that we'll, we'll start to see uh, a lot more pressure on brewers to bring the cost of their beers down? Um, I think so. Um, and there's, there's, and, and it's going to be difficult because bringing the cost of beers down uh, with, with all the extra cost of, um, of the raw materials as far as increased, increased amount of hops. I mean, hops can add, you know, you're, you're talking up to 50 cents a liter uh, just for hops. Mm. And uh, that, that gets expensive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, Chuck, we'd better... Um, Don't get a stop, I guess. Huh? Oh, yeah, just suddenly look at the time. I, I, I could uh, keep uh, going. We'll have to make sure it's not a couple of years before we get you back on. Um, and uh, certainly maybe uh, get up to the Amundi Brewery when you get it open so we can uh, try some of the beers and uh, have you taste us through the, uh, the, the new beers you're developing up there. Okay, good. And good to talk to you again. And uh, the next time we talk, we'll, we'll talk over a beer. Is that, is that a deal? That's a, absolutely a deal, Chuck. Uh, always good to chat. Okay. And uh, have a happy okay. 2017 and uh, all, all the best and enjoy the skiing. Okay. Thanks, Matt. Right. Bye. In the garden, what a garden. 
Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. Well, that was my chat with Chuck Hahn. As you can see, it was recorded before uh, he announced the uh, intention to leave. And I just knew that uh, he had some strong views about the articles that were written late last year. Um, But it also gave us a chance to talk about a wide variety of things, uh, including Lion's plans for another uh, small brewery up in Queensland and uh, just the history of the Hahn Brewing and uh, some of the travails that he's had. Uh, with his various brewing enterprises. It's hard not to read the statement that he uh, issued uh, today, um, recording today, uh, and not hear just a little bit of hurt uh, in Chuck. And you might have heard the passion that he was speaking uh, with uh, during this interview. Uh, You know, Chuck has been somebody who has been a very generous uh, contributor to the craft beer scene and has had lots of passion for beer and contributing to, to the industry and I, I think that you can understand uh, his feeling a little bit hurt by the fact that because of who he works for his contribution is less valued um, than others but anyway uh, between that the statement that Chuck made and also the editorial that was posted today you should have plenty of discussion fodder And if you would like to join in the conversation that is beer, you can leave comments on the Facebook page associated with uh, this podcast. You can leave it on the the web page or you can email us uh, matt at brewsnews.com.au. You'll find me or you'll also find us at ozbrewsnews on Twitter and just about anywhere else. If you want to say something, you will find a way to do it. Um, as I said at the start of the show, we are about to return with our full schedule. I'm heading off to Adelaide tomorrow, uh, and amongst the people, I'm, and amongst the people I will be speaking to is Dr. Tim Cooper from Coopers, another long-standing uh, industry veteran. But I'll also also be speaking to people such as the guys from Pirate Life who have just celebrated two years and have done very very well in the recent Hottest 100 Craft Beer. Um, as well as a number of other people while I'm down there. So stay tuned. Prof and I will be back very, very soon. Thank you for your patience. And as ever, beer is a conversation and hope you'll join in. So till next time, strike up the band.